people said? And that's true. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Chris. I mentioned uh, earlier that uh, next Sunday, let me invite you to take your Bibles and go back to Romans chapter 8. We had looked at Romans 8 last week. I, I don't want to be that repetitive, but I do want to start there again because we are talking about the church. Now, we've been talking about the family, obviously, for several months now. But for the last Sunday and this Sunday, we're talking about the doctrine of the church as family. We are a family of faith. Uh, and when we, like our little logo, when I first got here, we, you know, they tell you you have to have a little logo and all this stuff. So I came up with a place to belong, right? Walter loves that because he says, Walter says it means a place to be long, like I preach long. But that's not what it means. He is being a, he is being a smarty pants, wasn't he? But anyway, a place to belong. And how true that is because... From God's perspective, we, every local church, that's a biblical church, that's a New Testament church, is a family. We are the family of God. And Christ is the head of our family. Amen? So we're, we're sons and daughters to Christ, and we all submit to the Father. This is why the New Testament calls us Children, we're children. And a lot of the New Testament language is, is, talks about God raising his children. There's a word in the original language that it just talks about the ABCs, like you're teaching a, a, a preschooler starting at the beginning and teaching them the elementary things and all the way through maturity. That's what we're doing as children of God. And, we, and since we're saved by grace, right, we never stop being children of God, right? We believe that. We're studying that in our Sunday school class, or we just finished. It's a doctrine called justification by faith. Um, and, you know, it's, it's talking about, that's judicial. I, it's important to remind you of that. There's, there's all kind of doctrines. You know, you, we talk about the doctrine of salvation. Part of that would be the doctrine of justification by faith. And, and just being a little redundant, because some in my class have heard this a dozen times, but there's, there's the transformative part of salvation where the Bible says you've been born again, right? Born from an incorruptible seed, the seed of God, incredible. And where he infuses himself in you by the work of the Spirit, and you're transformed. Well, he changes your life. But you're not perfect, but he gives you a new nature. You're still not perfect, but he's in you. And that's why the Bible says you have the Spirit of Christ, because Christ is in you. And so you have the Spirit in you, and so you have the Spirit of Christ. So being around you and being around me in some way is, being, is like being around Christ. That's the transformative part, or we might even use sanctification. But the doctrine of of justification is, is forensic, it's judicial, where God renders you free. He renders you not guilty because he's taken Christ's punishment in your place and applied it to you. So he applied his death to you and he applied his righteousness to you. 
And so in the eyes of God, you are not guilty. Amen? That never changes. So God's your father, and he'll be your father until the day you die. And we follow our elder brother, right, who is Christ, right? The Bible calls him our elder brother, and he, he's earned the inheritance, right? He died in our place. He earned the inheritance for us. So we inherit what he earned. That's incredible, is it not? Well, we, so we're the family of God, and this is why the Bible uses brothers a lot. Like, and I told my class they were going to hear it again, but in the Gospels and in Acts, um, it calls us disciples a lot. It uses the word disciples. But when you pass the book of Acts and get into Romans and go through the other epistles, uh, we're called brothers and sisters. You know the word brother, and, and again, I won't get all the language, but there's many times the word brothers, it's not just talking about males, it's talking about both males and females. It's the same root word, but, but about 350 times in the New Testament does it speak specifically to brothers in the church. So now, rather than being disciples, of which we still are, but we're brothers and sisters because as the church, we're family. And Jesus himself said, if you love your mother and father and your sister and brother more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. And what he was talking about is not, not loving your family, but he is your king. He is your savior. And as much as I love my children, and my grandchildren, they didn't save me from my sins, right? Sometimes they're the cause of my sin, to be honest with you. Right, Griff? So sometimes they make me sin. Well, they don't, but as James says, it's my own fault. Walter, you know what I'm talking about. Any grandparent in here knows what I'm talking about. But the, anyway, let's don't get off on that. But the point would be <laughs> is that we're God's children, and now God's raising us. And so we're all, we're all children of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And if that's so, and it is, it is so. I don't want you to think I'm being unspiritual, but I'm going to set this on the Lord's table. Uh, that now it's time for us as God's family to mature in our faith and be the family of faith that God wants us to be. And think about this. If you... If you know Christ, let's just say whatever family, whether it's a family of one, family of two, a family of ten. If your family's growing in the faith, if, the, if you one or you ten in your family desire to grow in your faith as a family, would it not be logical that the place you find that most successful would be in the family of God? Do you see what I'm saying? God's designed that. So strong families... Strong spiritual families make a strong church, right? And a healthy church can encourage families that are trying to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ Jesus. Next week when we do the, the parent-child dedication, and we've done this for years, it, it, almost the same thing year after year. I like redundancy in, in, in a sense like that. But we make a pledge to the parents and the child, the church, because we're their family. 
I mean, the parents make a pledge, but we make a pledge because it's our responsibility too. We're helping them raise godly children because we're their family. So we have, we have a connection. We have a responsibility. Anyway, let me show you some, some theology here. Look at, look at uh, chapter 8. I won't be long because we kind of dealt with this pretty in-depth last week. And what I want to do this morning uh, is, let me get something to tell the time. I want to look at several Bible verses, so we're going to do doing a lot of references. But uh, I just want to see how the scriptures talk about the church as, as a family. I'll knock that off if I leave that there. Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Very significant terms there. Uh, very intimate, very intimate. I think I ended it by talked about hearing our little grandbaby, Margaret Ann, calling for Griffin, Daddy. You know, hey, Daddy. And that's what it means, Daddy. So we're able to call God the Father, Dad, Daddy. An intimate, relational word. So we have received the spirit of adoption. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Think about that. The Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit, this, what makes me me, not the Holy Spirit in me, but my spirit. The Spirit of God bears witness with my identity that I am a child of God. I have no doubts about that. If, if you're born again, I, I'm just reminding you, Honestly, if you've been saved by the power of God, you, don't, you should not doubt your salvation. Honest to goodness. It is, if you've been transformed by the power of Christ, you should not doubt God's grace and mercy in your life. It should be undeniable. We've been adopted. The Spirit himself bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. That is incredible. I'm, I mean, that you would know this to be true. I look like my dad. Uh, I'm a lot bigger than my dad when he was my age. I look just like him. That's odd, isn't it? No, it's not odd. My son, Jonathan, looks like me. That's not odd, is it? Do you look like your father? See what I'm saying? And we know, we know what we're supposed to be looking like because... His son came in human form to show us how to live. So all of us should reflect the nature of God or specifically the nature of Christ. Let me show you something. Now, <clears throat> this is kind of off track. Hold your fingers here in, in Romans 8 and go to Hebrews, Hebrews 1, book of Hebrews. Bill, if you don't mind... Will you 
turn me up a little bit. I'm not going to be able to talk very loud. Uh, Hebrews 1. This is why we follow Christ. This is why the Father gave the Son to redeem us. And now we follow Him. You know, He, he, he gave Him. He came in human form. But look what the, the writer of Hebrews is describing. The deity of Christ now come in human form. Long ago, chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He, now we're talking about Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. The word icon. He's the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So He's the exact imprint of the Father. So here's what we need to know. I've never seen God the Father. God is spirit. Okay. The Bible says you can't see him and live. But I do know who how the Father, who the Father is, and how the and how righteous. I know the Father because I know the Son. Jesus is who we live for. It's who we follow because the He is the exact everything God the Father, our Father, wanted us to know about Himself. Jesus was and is. So I'm going to obey my Father by obeying His Son, His elder Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because we're family. Go quickly back to to Romans 8. The Spirit Himself, verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Just think of the blessings. Um, I think I used the word... um, there's, I think one, I said, I was breaking down Romans 8 last week. I said there's supernatural distinctives. There's things that are in here that God does that man can't do. So he says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're just children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified together. So there's supernatural distinctives that we have because we've been connected. But all of us in here have that same connection. And that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to look at several verses that talk about family life now in the church. So go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. All your T's are together. You'll pass Thessalonians and come to Timothy. So go to 1 Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I just want you to see if in fact... If the church is a family, then then the Bible's going to talk about family life. It's going to describe us as a family. And that's exactly what the Scriptures do. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And this, just this, I'm going to talk about a pastor, overseer, pastor, 
uh, uh, bishop, whatever word you want to use. I'm in chapter 3, verse 1. Just look at the logic here. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You could put the word pastor there. You could put the word bishop there, elder there. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And then here's the logic, right? For if someone does not know how to manage his own household... How will he care for God's church, which is the household of God? Does that make sense? Look, look at verse uh, 14, still in chapter 3. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Right? So Scripture, one of the things Paul does is Scripture's written to tell us how this family should function, right? We know Christ is the head, but the other things that happens in the church, the Bible gives us directions about family life, and that's how the family should function. The household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground or the pillar and buttress of the truth. So, so he says, I'm writing so you'll know how, you, how the church ought to function. Go to chapter 5. This again, still talking about family life. Look what he says, chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. He's talking about family. You know, you, in, a, in your biological family, Children don't rebuke their parents, you know. That's their parent. In church life, a 25-year-old person doesn't rebuke a 60-year-old. You encourage them. There's somebody, if they need to be confronted, if, if let's say there's, some, there's discipline that needs to happen. Well, the person to do the dad is not going to be a 25-year-old person speaking to a 60-year-old person. That's not going to happen because the Bible says it shouldn't happen that way. So he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would your father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. And then he gets into some detail. This tells you they kept records, okay? They had church records. They had secretaries. But if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some, I'm sorry, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So taking care of widows, if there's living grandchildren and children, they're the first ones that ought to take care of the widows. She who is truly a widow, this is somebody that doesn't have children or grandchildren to help take care of them, 
left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse, worse than an unbeliever. And Paul's there, I mean, you kind of catch a glimpse of in New Testament days, of course, widows were kind of left to the world. A lot of times no source of income, no source of protection. And if they were truly widows, if, if family members were not there to take care of her, then the church would enlist her. And they would be numbered among the widows. And you can go in and read. I mean, there was things that they were responsible for, and, and, but the church took care of them. But they're called widows indeed, and the church kept records of them. But also notice, and this is just life, that if you're not willing to take care of your own family, you know, so if a, if a father won't work, won't protect, and you're worse than an infidel. Uh, we're responsible for our families to take, so the families, and talking about financially and otherwise, aren't a burden on the local church. So, because pagans know how to take care of the families. That's, Paul, that's Paul's argument there. Go to Galatians. As we're taking, taking the left now. Go back to Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right after Corinthians. Go to Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter, uh, i got a bunch of them. Go to Galatians chapter 4. I mean, uh, chapter Galatians 4, 1. Uh, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. I say they're an heir, but they're a child, so they're not going to get the inheritance till later. So from what you would look at, you couldn't tell any difference between an heir to the kingdom or an heir to the father than a slave that had been hired. Says So I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Is that not awesome? So all of us, when you're thinking about, when you look at me and I look at you, brothers and sisters, we're all adopted sons or adopted children of God. We've all, one of the things God did through Christ in our salvation, when you believed in Jesus, is He adopted you. And, and if you're reading the context, if you've been adopted into the family, guess what you're going to get? You're going to inherit everything the Son inherits. So, we're gonna, we're, so we've been adopted. We've been in adoption. And said, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying... So now, I mean, in, in the Old Testament, the name of God they wouldn't even use. They, they wouldn't even say Yahweh. But now we can call 
the God of heaven, intimately, he's our father. We can say, we can pray intimately and call him almost our dad, uh, daddy. The son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Isn't it awesome? So all of us, and I just want you to see how intimate that is. All of us are sons and daughters of God. Each of us that's been saved will inherit heaven. We will inherit the eternity. We will inherit everything that Christ earned. Each of us will because we've been an adopted son or an adopted child into his family. Um, Look back at chapter 3. I didn't proof this, but I want to read it anyway. Well, I'm right here anyway. Um, I love this, this verse. We, we studied Abraham a little bit this morning. But if you, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. And just, you know, Abraham believed and God credited it to him as righteousness. And he promised Abraham that all these things were going to happen through his seed. Did they happen? Yes, they happened. Well, you're a descendant. You're, you've been adopted into God's family by faith, you believe just like Abraham, and all these promises that God has made through Christ are going to be yours. You're God's offspring, and all the promises He's made, you're heirs according to the promise that God made. He made a promise through Abraham, but He made a promise to us through Jesus Christ. We have a promise. Now, Robbie read Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. I don't have time to go there. Incredible passage about being disciplined. Now, just logically, any family member, any child, your child, you're a child of God. All of us are children of God. Children will be disciplined. <coughs> Folks, I've been saved a long time. I really have. I know I have. I'm getting older. Many of, all, many of you have aged with me. Some of you have been here the whole 23, and 23 years I've been here. But... Also, I've aged not only physically, but you age in your faith. But no matter how old I get, you're still, and I am, you are, we're still the children of God. And I still need spiritual discipline, right? So the Spirit of God, who's the, who's the Holy Spirit, and is the Spirit of truth, and the Spirit of righteousness, and God's Word, convicts me so God uses his word and his spirit to convict me of my wrongdoing right if I think something wrong say something wrong feel something wrong uh, thoughts acts you know he convicts me that's his discipline right now if I was lost I would not I, I might have a conscience but I would not have the convictions of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. So that's why the writer of Hebrews says, if you're without discipline, just think, the Holy Spirit indwells me. The Holy Spirit has sealed me and, and guarantees that I'm going to be saved. And, and it's also called the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ is in me. So if I violate the Holy Spirit, who's in me, if I violate that holiness, is it not logical that I would be convicted about that? Right? Right? And if God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and is God-breathed, 
and I hear that word, read that word, and I've done something wrong, would that word not convict me of my wrongdoing? So that's why the writer of Hebrews says, if you're without discipline, if the word of God doesn't convict you of your sins and the spirit doesn't convict you of your wrongdoings, the writer of Hebrews just makes this conclusion. Then you're not his. Because all his children, the father, the father, the Abba, God the Father disciplines all of his children, right? Makes sense, doesn't it? We're going to have to finish. Why don't you go to, um, oh my name, go to 1 Corinthians. We'll finish with this one. 1 Corinthians 5. I just, I hope you're able to see how special our relationship in the, in the church would be. The intimacy. I mean, why would, why would a family start bickering? Why would a family talk bad about each other? Why, why would a family try to up, you know, one-up somebody? Or why would there be partiality? in the? There shouldn't be. We're all sons and daughters of God. Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of this household. So we're all, and this is where, you know, we call it, you know, this is where everybody's submissive. We're submissive to one another in that sense, and we're submissive to Christ. Mutual submission, because we're all seeking to be like Christ, our elder brother. So, and this is why the Bible says there's no one greater, you know. But then he does establish leadership positions. We know that. But in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, I didn't even turn my Bible there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 through chapter 6 is just absolutely wonderful. Let me read some of it. For you and to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This involves family life in the church. The church at Corinth had lots of problems. Paul deals with it in, in 1 Corinthians. And uh, he treats them like a family. They're a family and there's, there's, there's things going wrong in the family. So he rebukes the family. So let me just read a little bit and you follow along and then we'll close in prayer. Hey Walter, can I ask you to do me a favor? And Allison, this is really I'm asking you. Starting about 419 in the hymn book, there's three or four hymns about we are the family of God. Um, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And then um, we are one in the bond of love. Can we sing those two as a benediction when I get through in, just, when I get through in 30 minutes? <laughs> just kidding. I should have warned you earlier. I'm sorry. Uh, what, but I know it's around 419. Anyway, your Bible's open to 1 Corinthians 5. See, when I, the reason that stirred me, I, I looked at those hymns, and when you're thinking about who we are, those hymns make so, they mean so much more. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I mean, that, that really is true. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. So have you. Uh, and I should treat you that way. And it should grieve me when... This is why it bothers us when we have sickness and, and there's people when they suffer and burdened, we, we, we carry their burdens because we're family. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. By the way, that's the word porn. All through the Bible, this is where the English word pornography comes from. There's three or four different ways the word porn is written. But generally, general sexual immorality is porn. 
Sometimes it's going to be called porno and pornea. It's just according to the setting. Anyway, we move on. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. So even lost people don't live like this. And they're in the church. The whole point is they're at the church at Corinth. They're in the church. He says, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? It should bother you. Let, let him who has done this be removed from among you. So somebody who lives in continual sexual disobedience and immorality must be removed from the congregation. Because of the leaven, you know, the, the infection, immorality. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit. And, it, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So, in sexual immorality, when they're unrepentant, you cast them out of the church. It requires church discipline. And the problem is they had tolerated it. Obviously, Paul had been told that. Your boasting is not good. By the way, seven times in chapter 5 and 6, he asked, Do you not know? Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of the world. So he's saying, along with this guy that had done this, cast him out. But he says, when I wrote, by the way, this letter's been lost, this lost letter that I wrote to you. We don't know where that letter is. Not just, but he says, I'm what, he says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. What he's saying is, if you're, I'm not saying stay away from sexually immoral people that are in the world, because that's what the world is. You'd have to leave the world not to be around sexually immoral people or swindlers or liars or cheats because you're in the world, and that's who's in the world. But he's saying not to be around those that are call themselves Christians and live like that. Stay away from them, he says. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who, look, look at this, this is family stuff. So you think about, I mean, Jesus speaks about church discipline, in, in Matthew's gospel, but here, here's a little church. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. So let's say we discipline a member who's living in sin, unrepentant. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, we're not going around checking whether you've 
you said a dirty word when you stubbed your toe. That's not the discipline we're talking about. But this is a, a flagrant public disgrace in mocking the name of Christ. So you discipline them. So if you were to be disciplined somebody, you don't even go out to eat with them. You don't have table fellowship with them. Because when you have table fellowship with somebody, you're affirming who they are. And you don't want to do that. So you strike them off and you, you, you cast them out of the body. Uh, don't, he says, don't even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging? Now look what he says. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So when you're in the body and this happens, you have to keep the family pure. wonder if we tolerated that. What's that saying to teenagers? What's that saying to young people if we tolerate somebody we know is openly living in immorality and we, we treat them as if they're living godly? It's, it, it teaches the wrong message to everybody, but especially to young people. Look what he says in chapter 6, and I know I'm over, but he says, when, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So, so if we have a complaint against one another, and, and it it's becomes an issue, look what he says, why in the world would you go? It's because we're family. Why, why would you go to an outsider to settle a family issue? Look what he says. He says, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So if you have an issue, rather than bringing it to the church, you file a lawsuit. Look what he says. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Right? That's millennial kingdom. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? This is family law. This is our spiritual family law. There's no issue in this body that we can't settle face to face. That's what it says. Why would we take an issue to an ungodly legal system? They're not brothers and sisters in Christ. We are. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Uh, that's an interesting statement, standing in the church. It matters to me and it should matter to you when somebody speaks that they have what we call spiritual credentials. What I'm saying is, is maybe they are a deacon or, or a staff member or they've been a teacher or a servant and they've proven themselves. He mentions that standing in the church, somebody that, that has lived the life and is respected among the family of God. I love that phrase, standing. Uh, I say to this to your shame, can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong 
and defraud even your own brothers? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's important what I'm fixing to read, and we'll close with this. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral idolaters nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality. I won't get into that, but that's about as literal as you can come. Uh, again, it's, if this is your life, every man in here has been tempted sexually, visually, with men of that nature. It's not talking about having the temptation. It's talking about living this lifestyle and, and you're comfortable in it. He says, do you not know, you know that the unrighteous not inherit the kingdom of God. Sexually immoral, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. We all live like this before we were saved. We all were touched by those sins. But such were some of you. Don't you like this? But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. Boy, that's three important verbs, isn't it? You were washed, you were set apart, you were cleansed, set apart, and you were made eternally secure in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Is that not awesome? Now, let me show you one more verse. Uh, Let's stand together. Let's stand together. You're going to stand. And let me read one more verse. You're going to stand. What numbers are they, Walter? Uh, 419 and following. 419 and following. Get your hymn book. Okay, We sing them all the time, but you may not know it. That's going to serve as our benediction, but let me read one more verse as we go, okay? This is, um, this is after Jesus heals somebody. This is in Matthew 13. Okay. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to Jesus. His mother and his brothers were asking me. But he replied to the man who told him this, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and is my mother. We're family. And we ought to be obeying the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's sing about being a family.